the Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus, because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went into Jesus, with Jesus, into the high priest's court. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter, and he he replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there, warming himself, so they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? This is verse 25 we're dropping down to. He denied it, saying, I am not. And one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, didn't I see you with him in the garden? And again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Well, I promised a, a, a joke as well. So um, I don't have any original jokes, but I, I steal them from others. So this is, uh, this is from uh, Dr. Richard Allen Farmer, who pastors a church in Stone Mountain, Georgia. He's a um, multi-gifted man in uh, music and preaching, and uh, um, he's just got a lot of hobbies, and he's a, he's a great man of God. But he was talking about a, a, a pastor, um, and uh, he was uh, telling somebody about his, his church, and this pastor happened to be <clears throat> maybe not quite gifted at, at preaching, and maybe even some of the messages were a little bit boring. Um, and so the the guests that he was interacting with finally asked him, well, um, how, how large of a church, how big is your auditorium, how many does it seat? And uh, he he said, well, um, I'm not sure how many it seats, but it sleeps 250. <laughs> well, we're going through the Gospel of John, and we're almost we're almost finished. Um, we're going to look at uh, John 18 uh, this morning. And then we're going to look at uh, John 20. Uh, we're also going to be in John 21 a little bit today. And then uh, we will conclude, uh, conclude the Gospel of John. So we're going to think about um, this familiar story in John 18. And most of us are familiar with it. It's, it's Peter's denial. A denial that it, of, of, of his Savior, Jesus. And uh, we've entitled this, Failure is Not Final. So all of us, at some point or another, are going to fail in our life's journey. It's because we're human, and uh, and we will experience failure. Um, I remember one of my experiences in uh, in education and failure, and I'm reflecting back to um, my uh, freshman year at Cedarville University. And I was, I was 17 years old and, um, at Cedarville University and I was taking a class entitled History of Western Civilization. I remember walking into the classroom, um, every day and the professor, Dr. James McGoldrick, he had just finished his PhD studies and he had a 4.0 in his, in his PhD studies. And on the board, there was, um, every day about 40 or 50 names places or events. And that was what we were going to cover in that hour class. And so you better you better have your notes out or pieces of paper out and a pen because when he started um 
I remember writing furiously, trying to take notes, trying to uh, keep up with Dr. McGoldrick, and we, we covered all those uh, names and events and normally in, in that class period. Sometimes he went way beyond the bell. And uh, I just really struggled. Later on, I found out it was a junior level um, class, and I'm kind of thinking, why did my advisor have me take that? <clears throat> I guess I was looking for someone to blame because I, did, I didn't do well in that class. And I remember uh, first test, I studied, uh, I studied like 12 hours for that first test, and I got a C. The second exam, I studied longer because I wanted to do better. I studied for 14 hours, and I got a D. The last final exam, I studied longer, and I got the old uh, flag on that one. And <clears throat> I felt like a f- I had failed. And uh, I think I squeaked by in, in, in the overall grade of the class. Maybe it's maybe it's um, an education experience where we felt like a failure. Um, failure today in um, this uh, institution of, of marriage. And uh, I was doing some research just thinking about the high rate of failure in marriage. Almost 50% of all marriages in the United States will end up in divorce or separation. And so here's a couple that comes together in front of the church and they make these vows to one another. And oftentimes um, that marriage does not succeed. Um, sometimes we feel like a failure in, in parenting. And uh, this, whole, this whole matter of, of, of parenting is such a... Such an incredibly challenging job, and we need uh, you know we need God's God's help and God's assistance, and and sometimes um, sometimes we feel like we we maybe have failed. I want to remind you that uh, God had two perfect children in a perfect environment called the Garden of Eden, and uh, they both they both rebelled, and. Uh, and so thank God the last, last chapter of, of that has not been, uh, has not been written. Sometimes <clears throat> we feel like failures in ministry. Um, there's a high rate of feelings of failure among pastors and shepherds and ministers. Went to a website called Shepherd's Watchman. Said, uh, this is from August of 2019. 50% of pastors considered leaving the ministry in the last month. <laughs> that seems a little high to me. Maybe that was taken on a Monday after a bad Sunday. I don't, I don't know. Um, 50% of ministers starting out will not last five years. <clears throat> One out of every ten ministers will actually retire as a minister in some form. 10%. Again, that seems that seems shockingly low to me, but um, sometimes in, in ministry, ministers and pastors feel like failures. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at uh, a well-known story of one of the twelve apostles, one of the twelve disciples. His name's Peter, and Peter failed big time. It wasn't uh, in education, it, it wasn't in marriage, it wasn't in parenting. It was in his personal relationship with, with Jesus. And as we read this story, we discover that Peter, at Jesus' most crucial hour, Peter, uh, Peter failed. It's not a surprise because uh, Jesus predicted that. Remember the upper room? Uh, the disciples are gathered together and they're going to observe the, the, the Passover meal with Jesus 
And uh, that was a traumatic night because Jesus um, uh, tells them some things that shocked them. And and uh, one of them was that, uh, hey, I'm, I'm going to leave and you can't come with me. And so for the last three years, uh, Jesus had been their security. And now uh, Jesus says, I'm leaving and you can't come with me. Um, this is John thirteen thirty six. Where I'm going, Jesus said, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Uh, Jesus, Jesus predicted and told Peter what was going to happen. That, that Peter would, would uh, deny uh, Jesus his, his Savior. So um, let's, let's go ahead and, and look at uh, John chapter 13. And, uh, um, and we're looking, really, we've, we've read the verses, we're looking at the commitment, the commitment. So Peter makes this commitment. <laughs> Jesus says, I'm leaving, you can't follow with me. And Peter says, like, no, uh, uh I'll go with you. In fact, I will lay down my life for you. I will die for you, Jesus. And as we just read, Jesus says, no, actually, you're going to deny that you even knew me. Now, church history tells us that Peter did eventually lay down his life for Christ. It's not in the Bible, but church history tells us that the apostle Peter uh, according to church tradition, was crucified on a cross and he asked that he be crucified upside down because he didn't think he was worthy to be crucified in the same manner that his Savior was. And so um, Peter eventually did lay down his life and give his life for Christ like most of the disciples and the apostles did. But we're in John chapter 18 and we need to get the context of of uh, Peter's denial, John chapter 18. And the context is Jesus' arrest. So you know, you know the story that uh, Judas has already made a, a deal with the religious leaders to, uh, to betray Jesus. And so here they are in the context of uh, being in um, the garden there. And let me pick it up in um, verse 1 of chapter 18, when Jesus had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guided, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. If you were with us about three or four weeks ago and we, we looked at this passage, that word detachment of soldiers means this, this isn't just a few Roman soldiers. I forget the name of the, the, the original Greek word here, but uh, probably this is a detachment of uh, uh, 200 to 300 soldiers. It's kind of overkill to arrest Jesus. And with the spiritual religious leaders of the day, um, they're, they're leading them, carrying torches and lanterns and weapons. And so the context here is the betrayal and the arrest of Jesus. 
And I won't take time to, to read the verses 4 through 14. Um, you, you, you know the story here that when they, uh, that, that Judas, um, uh, betrays Jesus with a kiss and, uh, and when they come to take Jesus, uh, Peter, impulsive Peter says he takes out his sword and he starts wielding his sword wildly and in fact he actually cuts off the ear of, of Malchus, the high priest's servant, and Jesus says, put your sword away. That's, this is not the time to fight, basically. One of the most amazing things that, that happened, and it's not recorded in, in John's record of it, but in the other Gospels, it says that Jesus actually picked up that man's ear and, and healed him instantly. And you would have thought that that would have uh, maybe stopped the religious leaders or the Roman guards and soldiers in their tracks and say, hey, uh, maybe we need to give this some thought, but it, it didn't. And so uh, the context of of uh, Peter's denial is the uh, the arrest of Jesus. So now we pick it up with the confrontation, and some of the verses that we've already read uh, begin beginning in verse fifteen. Here we see, just as Jesus predicted, uh, Peter is going to three times deny that he even knows his Savior Jesus. So let's look at the first one: Simon Peter and another disciple. That was John, and the Apostle John, were following Jesus. <clears throat> because this disciple was known to the high priest, John, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. So John gets through with Jesus into the courtyard. Peter stopped at the door. And, and so uh, later on, uh, they come back and they get Peter. They spoke uh, to the servant girl on duty there. And in verse 16, they bring Peter into the courtyard. And here's, here is denial number one. This servant girl, verse 17. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. There's Peter's first denial. Peter flat out lies. Nope. I'm not, I'm not with him. <clears throat> I'm not one of those Christ followers. Denial number one. Um, denial number two. This is, meanwhile, the, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teachings. So while the, the questioning of Jesus is going on, beginning in verse 19, um, it says in verse 25, Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So he's warming himself by the fire. <clears throat> so they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? And Peter again makes the same statement. He denied saying, flat out lie, I am not. Denial, lie number two. Did you ever think about kind of the the reasoning and the rationale of, of lying. Um, normally, lying, we, we lie because we are trying to protect ourselves. It's, it's, it's oftentimes a self-protection. Um, a lot of times we lie when we are uh, afraid and we're, we're fearful. 
Uh, I think perhaps that's why little children begin to lie, you know, and little Johnny, did you, you know, steal those cookies? Did you get in the cookie jar? And, and they're afraid they're going to get in trouble. So their fear causes them to say, uh, nope, I didn't do it. <laughs> Even though they maybe have the cookie crumb, you know, crumbs all over their face. Um, we lie because we're afraid. And when we're operating out of fear, uh, we don't make good decisions. I've learned that in my own life. And we have a tendency out of fear to lie. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 12 is a, another e- example of that, just to kind of take a moment and go back into the Old Testament. Remember the, the story of uh, um, Abraham and Sarah, and uh, there's, a, there's a famine, and so now uh, Abraham um, with his wife Sarah go down to Egypt, and um, Abraham, um, he's not called Abraham yet, that comes, his name gets changed soon, but but Abram goes down to Egypt because of the famine, and he comes up with a plot with his wife Sarah, and, it, and it's basically a plot full of lies. It says, as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarah, I, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. <laughs> Talk about Abram's mind kind of going away off the chart with, with, with fear. And, and I call it kind of future tripping. We're afraid. And if this happens, this can happen and that can happen. And, and it says, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. They will kill me, but let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake. And my life will be spared because of you. So, so here Abraham and Sarah come up with this plot, this kind of cover up, and he says, "No, she's my sister," and and uh, it gets it gets them in a heap full of trouble. But why why did Abraham lie? Because of fear. And so here's here's Peter, and he's fearful, uh, fearful for his life. I'm sure. I mean, they've just taken, they've just taken Jesus and, and, uh, and, and Peter is operating, um, off of a great, great fear. And so, um, Peter's already denied twice that he knows Jesus. And now we come to the third denial, just as Jesus predicted. And that's found in, um, verses 26 and 27. Um, Let's let's look at it here. This is one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. And so here is um, denial number three, failure number three. Uh, Luke's account tells us this, this one happened about an hour after the other two, uh, denials had happened. And, uh, they're hearing Peter's accent. It's a Galilean accent. And they're like, hey, uh, we think you're one of them too. We think you're one of Jesus' disciples. And Peter denies it. Matthew's account reads like this, then Peter began to call down curses and he swore 
to them, I don't know the man. Peter denies it three times. And Luke's Luke's account goes like this. A little later, somebody else saw Peter and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, replied Peter. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him. He's a Galilean. I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed, just as Jesus had predicted. And one gospel account says, when that rooster crowed, uh, Peter, uh, in dismay, he meets the eyes of Jesus as Jesus looks at him. And Peter must have felt great shame and guilt. This is it's the Luke account. Then Peter, then Lord, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. And Peter um, now realizes what he's done. He's he's seen the eyes, the piercing look of Jesus' eyes. And he goes out and he is weeping and crying bitterly because of denial number three. Well, Peter failed big time. But the encouraging news in uh, this message and the story here, and what I want you to grasp this morning, is that the scriptures tell us that failure is not final. And that's something that we all need to grasp and we all need to realize that failure is not final uh, because this is not the end of Peter's story. Now, when Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, Judas went out and committed suicide. He hung himself. Uh, Peter, although he's weeping bitterly, uh, this is not the end of Peter's story. It's not the end of his journey. In fact, as we know, when Jesus goes to the cross and then uh, that first Sunday resurrection morning, uh, one of the Gospels uh, uh, records that uh, the angel says, go tell the disciples and Peter. (laughs) He mentions Peter because he's the only one whose name is mentioned because Peter's feeling really, really bad about himself. He's feeling like a failure. I want to make sure you know, you, you tell Peter. And so the conclusion of the story is is in John chapter 21. Jesus has already made two post-resurrection appearances to the disciples. And now he makes a third one. Where is Peter? Uh, Peter and some of the other disciples are fishing. <laughs> Why is he fishing? Because he feels like a failure. And he's like, I, you know, I've blown it. I might as well go back to something that I know that I can do and I know I can fish. And so Peter and his disciple and some of the other disciples are there in the, the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Um, uh, they've been fishing. In fact, they've been fishing all night. And it says early in the morning, uh, verse 4 of chapter 21, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. So now this is a, a third post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Now, 
when you've had a really good day fishing, and I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a fisherman, but I, I've, I've known a lot of fishermen. When you've had a really good day fishing, you want people to ask you, how'd you do? You know, so you can like show them, you can post that picture on Facebook, and like, oh man, we had a, we had a great day fishing. When you've gotten skunked, you don't want anybody to ask you, you know, hey, how'd it go? How you doing? And Jesus says, have you caught anything? Oh, these are, and these guys are professionals. No, they answered. He said, they still don't know it's Jesus. Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, It's the Lord. <laughs> and and what does Peter do with his uh, personality, his kind of uh, impetuous personality? It says, uh, Peter uh, jumps into the water and he and he goes out to see see Jesus. And so now they're they're back on shore. <clears throat> And uh, the scriptures tell us there was 153 fish in that, that net. So it was a huge catch. And now imagine this. Breakfast on the beach with Jesus. I mean, it doesn't get any better that, than that. And this is, this is post-resurrection Jesus. And, and um, they're, they're having breakfast now. And that was Jesus' invitation, verse verse 12. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. Look at that last part of verse 12. None of the disciples dared ask them, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So they're having breakfast at the beach with Jesus. Um, I'm not on Facebook all the time, but I like to be on Facebook just to kind of catch up with what's going on in people's lives. And uh, the other day on Facebook, someone had posted something and said, uh, name, um, list the, the most famous person you've ever talked to in your life. And I'm reading the little uh, trail there and there's people are talking about famous athletes and famous, you know, movie stars and people. And hey, I once talked to this, uh, this person, I got on there and just gave a one-word answer. I said, Jesus, uh, most famous person I've ever talked to. Uh, well, here they are. They're having, they're having breakfast with Jesus. And now, and, and we won't take time to go over this story because you know it, but what does Peter, uh, Jesus do? He restores Peter. And, uh, it's no accident that now, um, now they're on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and there's a the the uh, verb here very specific is a charcoal fire. And and uh, when was Peter last time at a charcoal fire? Well, a few days, maybe weeks earlier, when he was at that courtyard standing by the fire, and they came up to him. And they said, "Do you do you know Jesus?" Now he's back at a, a fire at this charcoal fire, and Jesus begins to ask him. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Maybe he's pointing to the fish. Do you love me more than your profession? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. A third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. 
So Peter, just like he denied him three times, he now um, restores him uh, and he uh, restores that relationship with, with Peter. And Peter's relationship with Christ is, is restored. And, and then it, it says um, in the last part of verse 19, and these were the first words that Jesus spoke to Peter. And uh, these were um, some of the last words that Jesus spoke to Peter. Jesus said to him, follow me, follow me. Peter, I'm not done with you yet. And uh, so even though Peter went through this uh, incredible failure of, of his relationship with Christ and in denying that he even knew him, uh, there was forgiveness, there was repentance, and there was restoration. And Peter's restored so much so that when we fast forward about uh, four weeks or more, it's now Pentecost and Jesus has ascended and the Holy Spirit has come and there's a great crowd of people there in Jerusalem. And who is it that stands up and gives the, the sermon there, the message there to thousands of people on that Pentecost day? They were there to, to celebrate the feast. And uh, it says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. And he gives... Uh, that Pentecost sermon. <clears throat> Six weeks earlier, he denied that he even knew Jesus. Six weeks later, he's forgiven, restored, filled with the Holy Spirit, and he preaches a great sermon, and he shares the gospel, and it says that people were pricked to the heart. They were, they were convicted, and they re repented of their sins, and 3,000 people came into the kingdom and now the church just doesn't have 120 disciples that were there in the upper room uh, there in Acts chapter 1. Now the church begins its exponential growth. Now there's 3,120. And uh, God begins to work. And it was all through Peter because failure is not final. Well, let's look at just a couple life lessons um, from... Um, John chapter 18, and uh, we'll look at, at four of them from John 18. Here's the first one. The first one is we must measure our words carefully. We must measure our words carefully. Um, Proverbs says death and life are in the power of the tongue. There's, a, there's great power in, in, in our words and here's Peter, sometimes with his um, impetuous nature, when, when Jesus says, you can't come with me, you can't follow me where I'm going, and Peter says, yes, I will go with you, in fact, I will die for you. Peter, we, we need to watch our words, don't we? <laughs> because t 24 hours later, he's, he's denying that he even knew Jesus. And so in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, Solomon uh, writes these words about our, our, our promises and our words. Ecclesiastes 5, it is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. <laughs> don't make a statement or don't make a promise unless you know you can fulfill it. Now we know things sometimes come up and 
and um, we have to have a change of plans. But this is talking about, you know, making promises and making vows and in our integrity. And Jesus in the New Testament says, let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Be a person of your word. Be a person of integrity. And so we must be very careful and measure our words. Promises that we make to other people. Promises that we make to our, our kids and our grandkids. Believe me, they'll, they'll remember and they'll remind you. But you said, marriage vows. Promise to God. I'll, 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 I'll love you. I'll, I'll be exclusively committed to you for the rest of my life. I need to be very careful with our words and the commitments that we make. I, I, I've learned that, you know, over, over the years because my personality and my um, tendency is uh, to be a people pleaser. And so early on in my ministry, I said yes to everything, you know. And um, just because I thought, well, that's the right thing to do and I'm here to help people. And I say yes. And then all of a sudden I found myself like way over committed <laughs> with my schedule. And later on, I'm regretting, like, why, you know, why did I make all the, you know, all those yeses and all those commitments? And um, since then, I, I've learned to say, um, sometimes I, I know immediately, but a lot of times I've learned to say, um, let me think about that, let me pray about that, and I'll get back to you. And sometimes after a little bit of time and praying about it, you can either look at your schedule and say yes to that commitment or no to that commitment. But uh, God wants us to measure our words carefully. And uh, and uh, Peter was uh, lacking in that, in, certainly in John chapter 13. Secondly, our belief system is revealed under pressure, isn't it? Um, here's Peter and... Uh, uh, why did he deny Christ? Because he was under, under the fire. He was under pressure. He was, he was fearful. And Peter failed under that crucible of pressure. And so, um, we need to learn to be strong and to stand strong. And especially with the direction that our culture is going, Christians are going to have to be swimming upstream, not going with the stream. And uh, that means we're going to have to take a stand. And it's going to be uncomfortable. I've just been, uh, last night um, was reading Decision Magazine. And it's uh, the um, printing magazine of uh, Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. And... The entire magazine was all about the pressure that Christian colleges are under today to, to um, stray away from their belief of biblical principles regarding marriage, regarding sexuality, and regarding gender. And so the Equality Act that's already passed the Congress, waiting for the Senate to vote on it, if that passes, Christian colleges will uh, most likely not be able to qualify for federal loans and assistance to help their students go to a Christian college. You know what that'll mean for a lot of Christian colleges? 
they're not going to be able to survive. I mean, um, I don't know if too many kids that can just go to college, especially private colleges, and just like pay cash for it. And these federally uh, subsidized loans are a tremendous help. Um, and so, um, boy, the article was saying, man, we even though it's tough, we we need to we need to be strong. And there's a bunch of legal battles going on with all of this. And so. Um, we need to be true to God's word, even under um, pressure. <clears throat> Thirdly, our faith needs to be constantly strengthened. We must be intentional about developing our faith. And so, all through the New Testament, we're we're what we're to to build up our faith. We're to build up one another, and that doesn't happen just by accident. And so, we have to intentionally. Um, develop our faith and that means um that means as believers here in our local assembly coming together regularly what hearing god's word uh, fellowshipping together encouraging one another praying for one another second timothy 4 7 uh, paul writes to timothy exercise yourself to godliness discipline yourself to godliness and so we've got to be intentional if we're going to be strong when difficulty comes to build up our faith and, and just be involved in these spiritual disciplines that we know we need to be doing of prayer and fellowship and Bible reading and, and, uh, and ministry in our lives. Uh, lastly, number four, life lesson from John 18. And this is a statement from uh, Dr. George Sweeting who used to be the president of Moody Bible Institute, and he said it over and over again. And um, But he said, the Christian life is a series of new beginnings. That the Christian life is a series of new beginnings. And, and really, that's just another way of saying, failure is not final. <laughs> that the Christian life is a series of new beginnings. Very rarely does our Christian growth and walk just go like this in one ascending line a lot of times it's three steps forward and two steps back or two steps forward and three steps back. And thank God that the, the, the Christian life is a series of new beginnings. And, and what did Peter need there in, in that, uh, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee when he had breakfast with Jesus? He needed a new beginning. He needed to know that Jesus still loved him, that Jesus still valued him even though he had denied him. And Jesus restores him, and Peter has a new fresh start in his journey with Jesus. And he finds forgiveness, and he finds restoration, and he finds a new beginning, and so much so that a few weeks later, he's, um, he's proclaiming the name of Jesus, and he's the Messiah, and he's the Savior of the world. The Christian life is a series of new beginnings. I'm so glad that God takes our shortcomings, our weaknesses, our failures, and there's forgiveness. First John 1 John 1.9. Um, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. This is, our, this is not for salvation. This is for our day-to-day relationship. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. And I, I found that many times in my life and in Christian, li- and in Christians' lives, um, 
Jesus forgives us, but we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. And if God has forgiven us, if Jesus has forgiven us, then we need to forgive ourselves and forgive one another. And so Jesus says to Peter, come on, follow me. Uh, and I'll continue to use you and make you fishers of men. I don't know what area of life that you might feel like you blew it. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a financial decision. Maybe it's in a, in a, in a ministry area or whatever it is. I want to remind you that failure is not final. And God uh, is gracious and loving and kind, and he wants to restore us, he wants to forgive us, and he wants us to give us a new beginning. And Peter had that, and I'm so glad he did, and uh, I trust we will experience that as well. Let's pray together. Lord, Lord, your word says in the Psalms, you know that we are dust, you know our frailties. Lord, I thank you that... Um, that forgiveness is found at the foot of the cross. And no matter how great our failure or sin is, Lord, from a little white lie to denying you to, um, to the, the most horrific sin that we can think of, Lord, there's mercy and grace and forgiveness at the cross. Lord, thank you for that. And Lord, I uh, pray this morning, maybe specifically for one person, that uh, today's their new beginning. And um, Lord, today is, uh, is uh, another new beginning of their uh, desire to, uh, to follow you and to serve you and to be used of you. And so would you um, continue to guide us and direct us? And Lord, we thank you for um, all that you will do in our lives in Jesus' name, amen.